Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we sit down with everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Oh, we are up and running once again. Thank goodness. Unfortunately, we're not on a new computer. We're actually on the old, old computer, the Old Faithful that uh, is the screen is is being held together with uh, gorilla tape at the moment and has been for a couple of years now. But it was always the backup. Uh, it was the backup on the trip around the world, and uh, yeah, so we're recording on a computer that's made it around the world and still continues to this day five years later. Impressive. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to I. <laughs> I had to get a quick pod out, and this one's definitely going to be way off the normal beaten path for sure. What an experience today. Holy cow. Mm. But I will, in the end, hopefully uh, hopefully leave us with, on a, on a nice note, I have a short story um, about uh, John Chadwell, or John Caldwell, sorry, who... Just has an amazing story. If you've never heard of him, uh, he did write a book called uh, Desperate Voyage, and it takes place back in the 1940s, post-World War II, and it's really good, and I just do kind of a very short version of it, but it is, I don't know, it it was pretty amazing. I threw it up on YouTube originally, um, but in any event, we'll get to that. So today, we, you know, we're working... And working on this wooden boat right now where, uh, you know, the cracks in between the planks and stuff have widened and everything. And it's it's kind of painful, uh, tedious sort of work, but it's kind of interesting a- as well. I, w- I will admit that. It's kind of a neat, neat boat to be working on. And I don't know, sanded it uh, the other day and then cleaned up this morning, vacuumed everything, and then we start doing this putty you got to put like, well, first you had to paint with anti-fouling in between the cracks and then you have to do the putty and who knows, maybe there's some wood, wood boat aficionados that are like, well, that's your problem right there. Uh, but I'm just doing what I'm told. Let's just say that right now. Uh, I am, uh, completely novice when it comes to wooden boats and, and their care and upkeep and all that. So that being said, I'm doing my job, doing what I'm told. I'm trying to trying to keep the enthusiasm up but it's uh it's difficult because it's a very tedious and it's a labor intensive job um you know with with most boats when you're working on them in these sort of conditions you're you're either sitting on a chair and holding your arms up for hours at a time i know i was doing that when i was sanding uh but hey you know that being said it's 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 good quality uh, craftsmanship sort of work where you have to be detail-oriented and you really, you get to see the result pretty quickly, which is nice because you're filling in all these cracks and then you're wiping it down with this chemical. So it's it's one of those things where I'm, I'm wearing a respirator, so that's kind of uncomfortable and it's hot and all stuff, you know, whinge, whinge, whinge. I know a lot of, a lot of complaining coming at you right now, but this is just the setup the setup for what happened. Uh, we got we got pulled away to go and 
essentially help with this other project. And I, I really want to make sure that this, uh, doesn't ever get back to whoever this was and all this sort of stuff. I want to make sure it's, uh, it's nice and easy and nobody has to, uh, nobody has to feel the wrath of, of the internet or anything like that. But in any event, we go down and at first it's just me, but there's more people on the way. There's this big project that needs to be done, not in the boatyard. This is off somewhere else. And, We get there, or I get there, and introduce myself to the guy who's sort of in charge of this whole fiasco, let's call it, and to use the word disgruntled uh, doesn't do any sort of justice to the attitude that I felt literally before even words were spoken when I'm looking at this person through the window of their car. I can already feel it, and I'm like... You know, I'm kind of happy because now I'm not putting putty through these cracks anymore like I was for the first half of the day. Uh, but uh, so I'm, you know, I try and try and keep things positive and light. And I'm like, well, hey, man, you know, I know not all the crew is here, but I'm here and let's let's get down to it. And dude's just like, no, he's like, I can't do anything with just one person. And I'm just thinking to myself, dude, you don't know me. Uh we can definitely do something, uh, but he, he wasn't having any of it. And I actually, after just the first few sentences that came out of this guy's mouth, now I'm a firm believer that when people are being just absolutely horrible people to other people, um, like bad mood and just mean and all that sort of stuff, it typically means that that person is going through something or something bad is happening in their life that they have to, you know, uh, for whatever reason, the the tact is to take it out on everybody else. And I, I do. I truly believe that. So I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I actually did that today. But I, I had to do it, um, you know, I had to sit there and ask them. And I did. I said, hey, are you okay? Is something, like, really wrong here? And he sort of softened up just for about, three seconds and was like listen it's not it's not me it's you or no no sorry it's not I don't have any grief with you right now you know anything's going on and then he just went back to it and they, you know ah, I just I don't know I I'm like I'm just trying to put myself in his his spot you know a stranger rolls up just jacked and ready to work do anything smile on his face like hey hey let's let's not let the day get ruined and uh just completely stonewalled and i i have worked for some complete complete a-holes in the past uh i could you know easily name off my top five no problem this guy absolutely 100 percent makes that list now so somebody else got bumped off i don't know who yet probably decipher that at some point in my life but I just, I couldn't believe it. Just the attitude, the absolute, just like, I don't know, his day got ruined, I suppose. And so he was going to ruin everybody's day that was around. And, you know, I, <laughs> I just sort of went through the motions and luckily we were able to collect a couple other people to help. So now we had like four of us. And even though he wanted six, he relented and started sort of, it was, It's really hard to take anybody serious when they start to, like, throw things around in kind of a fit. 
you know, the sort of stuff that like a toddler does. Uh, but that's what I sort of witnessed off and on. Like he was just snapping and <laughs> I'm just thinking to myself, guy, like we got, we got people here, we can move things. And that's all that needs to be done here is things need to be moved. They need to be put together and they need to be set up. And none of us know how long it's going to be. He's not giving up any details about anything. Um, just basically essentially barking orders at us and, acting like we should know all the nomenclature for this intensive setup thing that we're doing and uh, just being a real pill. That's what my, my grandmother used to always say. Oh, don't be a pill. And, and she's spot on. You know, why, why be angry if you don't have to? Literally within an hour, we had everything unloaded off of this truck. And then we had six people there. And some pretty big burly guys, too, and all people that I know. And so the the atmosphere was very jolly. I mean, this could have been probably one of the greatest setups that this guy's ever had. Uh, I'm not I'm not trying to brag or anything like that, but we're talking about some some really hard workers, some really good jokesters and. It could have been a, a wonderful, the weather is nice. I mean, yeah, it's hard work, but we're getting it done and we're doing it fast because all of us just want to get out of there. Like literally everybody's sort of looking at each other being like, what is this dude's problem? But at the same time, we all know that we got to get this goal done. We just got to get it done, get through it. And, and you know, I think I think at the beginning we were sort of hoping that uh, – as we got a little bit of productivity done that this guy would sort of soften up a little bit and uh, maybe, you know, maybe uh, just just say, hey, guys, sorry about that. You know what? Let's let's flip the script. Let's have some fun. Let's get this done. And uh, this is what we need to do. But that absolutely never happened. And then, you know, we had another episode of I don't know, something was was wrong and uh, started throwing stuff again. And I'm just, I'm literally, I'm speechless at this point. I haven't seen this, this sort of uh, temper tantrum uh, stuff in, in years of my life. I just, I <laughs> just thinking about it, him kicking and launching these things all around. And we're all just standing there like, what is going on? And I, you know, <laughs> I just... Oh, man. You know, after the fact, it's always nice because you can laugh about these stories. And they are experiences for sure. But, you know, hour after hour after hour, and we're just slowly doing these tasks as he hands them out one at a time and doesn't really give us any sort of scope as far as the whole thing, which if you've got a team of people, a little top tip here, bud. Go ahead and let's just lay out a game plan. Sometimes it takes all of two minutes to say, hey, okay, so here's what we're trying to do. This is how we sort of do it. And then in the end, we're going to get this. And I'm expecting, oh, you know, it's going to take five hours. And you do that as someone who's directing or managing a team, you will be shocked at how uh, how much more efficient everybody is because they're kind of on the same page instead of walking around. I mean, we were essentially just walking around trying to do stuff, uh, <laughs> and we were volunteering. We were volunteering. Oh, my God. Uh, it's just... Uh... 
Ah, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Oh, man. And, um, yeah, we pretty much got, uh, we got to a point though, where, uh, after, after some of the biggest stuff was finished and there, there seemed to be less of a need for quite as many people. There were still plenty of tasks and the whole thing wasn't assembled and all that, but excuse me, they, uh, we just, we started losing people, you know, as the day crept on after about hour four, uh, we, well, no, we lost, we lost one, uh, who came in to help sort of middle of the thing. And after precisely two verbal interactions with, uh, said director manager, uh, he left. <laughs> he was like, yeah, this isn't for me. Nope. We're not doing this. And just walked right off. And, a lot of times that's something that uh, you sort of want to take note of. But again, I, I'm not going to try and critique uh, and give this guy any top tips or anything like that. I'm just trying to, I guess, vent a little bit uh, and explain. Because I had uh, some stuff lined up and hopefully it was going to get you guys some some a nice, nice little story from a fellow sailor. But uh, all that got taken away because we were down there for so long. Regardless, uh, so we lost one, and then come four o'clock, we lost the second, and then we lost a third, and uh, and then a fourth, and then by five o'clock, I was looking at my watch, going, you know what? All right, I started at six thirty this morning, pretty much have gone nonstop except for a short, short lunch break. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they got this. This guy can handle the rest of this stuff, and uh, off I went. But wow, wow, just. I, like I said, I was speechless. You know, we, we were always, and I, I get it that I, I definitely was more geared over the last decade or so, uh, in the customer service realm of things, working in resorts and water sports centers, all that. And you do want to please, uh, the customer no matter what, but even though we weren't customers, it just, it's ingrained in my head, like, all right, let's come into every situation with a good attitude because, hey, we have to be here anyway. Why don't we just try and have a good time while we do it? Yeah, I'm shoveling a hole. It's really not fun. My back hurts. My hands hurt. But you know what? Let's joke around. Let's have some fun. We'll still get it done, but it's not going to be just this grueling like, oh, I'm just going to gripe. I'm just going to gripe. So I don't know. That's the sort of uh, that's that's the corner I was coming from, and uh, I think sometimes people get into that mode of just I'm gonna come at this, and I don't want to be doing it, and nobody should be having fun, and we're just gonna make everybody as miserable as possible because it really is. It's one of those situations where that sort of vibe bleeds off into everybody else. And luckily uh, for us, the A-team was really there. Uh, and again, I'm not trying to boast or anything, but these, these fellow workers that, that I was with, they, uh, they just stepped up the game. And we, I mean, we were literally joking around, chatting, making fun of each other the whole time, laughing. I mean, it, it just, it was, it was remarkable, the juxtaposition between angry disgruntled guy and then this crew of jolly workers just plugging away and having to be like uh exactly what are we supposed to be doing again 
what was that? How do we do that again? And just laughing it off. But in the end, we did get everything done, and uh, they were able to... I guess, say that the project is complete. I don't know. I didn't see it in its absolute uh, finished form. But by the time I left, it was down to, you know, tying a couple little strings up and a few bungee cords. And that was basically it. So I knew that uh, my time there was was well fulfilled. And uh, (laughs) that was it. But man, you know, ah, I, 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 I... I guess in the end, to wrap this up, I just feel bad for him because, like I said before, I feel like he could have had the funnest day if he would have just, just you know, uh, stepped back for a minute and been like, holy shit, these guys are, like, they're gripping and ripping here. Look at this. Oh, man, they're pretty funny, too. Let's just, you know what? Normally, I have to do this uh, with such and such and so and so. I'm going to actually have some fun here. And... That opportunity was cast right aside because uh, old Grumpy didn't want to have anything to do with it. (laughs) So his loss, and you know what? That's what I'm going to chalk it up to. But I do think that it's, I don't know, it's a good lesson. And I, I still, I mean... I do hold true to that, or I do hold that uh, that idea that you know when people are acting kind of mean, sometimes it does all. All it takes is saying, "Hey, you know, are you okay? Everything all right? You know, pull somebody aside and be like, dude, you need like just uh, you can tell me if something's something's really wrong.' But I haven't had to do that for anybody in years and years and years because. Uh, I think once you reach a certain age, uh, you sort of, but I, I guess I am completely wrong on that one. So who knows? Who knows? I, uh, just had to get that one out there because it was just, I, I was a remarkable example of how a bad attitude can, uh, can just make a situation horrible, but also how a bunch of good attitudes can overpower that and still, you know, at least at the end of the day, feel really accomplished. Got a lot of extra hours on the uh, on the on the bill, and I don't know. It's uh, it's definitely a story to tell. I wish you know, I when I tell this story to others, uh, not on a huge or not huge, but <laughs> listen to me, uh, on on the internet or something like that, I can at least uh, give more details. So. It'll be fun. It'll be a fun story to tell, uh, you know, when I go home to Michigan, which dun, dun, is coming up very soon, flying back on Monday after the old Lobster Fest. I will be here in Rockland selling the book. Oh, man, at the uh, Lobster Fest. So if anybody's in the Maine area, central uh, or uh, mid-coast Maine, come on down. Saturday, we'll be, uh, I'll be up there and shaking hands and chatting, sailing and doing all that sort of stuff. So that should be pretty fun. But then shortly thereafter, it's, it's a plane ride home and a little bit of break, you know, work, work is definitely, uh, transitioned from, from hauling boats constantly and all that to, uh, more of the project side of things. And I don't know, a little, little bit of a breather. I, you know, I've been up here since May and, I think it's time to uh, go home, see the family, see some friends, all that sort of stuff. Uh, we got some big birthdays in the family all coming up, so that's always pretty fun. And I am kind of looking forward to setting up a little Jerome'stown camp and uh, just sort of enjoying that and hopefully get some 
get some more work done, get some of this side stuff done, or, or actually transition the side stuff, i.e. the podcast and the YouTube channel and all that, uh, into and the writing into my full-time top priority. Because it has been, uh, the last couple of weeks have been like crazy, basically, either starting at four in the morning or ending, you know, when I'm about to collapse after work sort of thing and just trying to trying to do as much as I possibly can while I have the opportunity to do it and uh, definitely have to thank everybody out there. I'm getting so many emails every day and all the comments and stuff like that. It's really it's really fabulous. I, the story stuff has been great. Um, you know, people are even I think oh, is it, I, I think Ed's sending me a book, a copy of uh, Vito Dumas's book, or Vito Dumas, uh, he was essentially the first person to uh, sail around the Southern Ocean. He left from, uh, I believe, Argentina back in the, I don't know, it must have been in the 40, I don't know, I'm getting the book, I can't wait, because I went to go and look for the book, um, and it was crazy expensive because it's out of print, uh, but he heard it on the podcast, and Boom, I'm getting, he's going to send it to me, and I'll just send it back in mint condition as well, and we should be pretty good, but I want to make sure that was Ed. I'm pretty sure it was. Ed, was it you? I'm scrolling through my emails right now. It's so cool to get these uh, these emails and, and comments and stuff, and people, yeah, it was Ed, definitely. I think it had to have been. Good morning. Oh, maybe it wasn't Ed. Holy smokes. Maybe it was. Oh, geez. Well, I was now I'm just in the weeds now, huh? Oh, no, maybe it was Peter. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Ed's been sending me a lot of emails, too, and uh, super awesome. He's uh, He's got a pretty neat story. I'd love to have him on the podcast. He was a, a West Sale owner. I think he said he's owned three of them uh, in his life, but he's been through some pretty ugly weather out on the West Coast, and uh, I don't know. If I ever make it out there, I'd love to sit down with him. But, um, yeah, no, Peter, guy named Peter, he's sending me the uh, the book. And he also mentioned the other one was uh, Nigel Tetley's Trimoran Solo, which I've only heard about that. But I definitely want to uh, – I'd love to hear his, his whole story about what it was like. And I know – I think they talk about it in – in Peter Nichols' book, uh, A Voyage for Madmen, in the very end, they sort of do an epilogue for all these sailors. And Nigel Tetley's story gets so sad. Uh, you know, he he essentially finishes his trip. And, you know, he wasn't 100% successful, but he made it like 98% around the world before the boat fell to pieces. Um, but he wrote a book about it. And, you know, essentially he had done something pretty absolutely insane i mean to to do that trip first off nobody even really thought that that doing that trip around the world solo and nonstop was possible let alone to do it in a trimaran that was just mind-blowing uh but i i kind of i don't know uh from what i understand i get the feeling that um you know he had done that but he was just in in the shadow of Knox Johnson and and the world just didn't really I don't know it didn't uh, 
I don't want to say it, the world didn't care, but I, I think it was just one of those things where it wasn't quite uh, as big a deal as it probably should have been. And I don't know, maybe he was just searching for a little bit more, re- <clears throat> excuse me, recognition. I'm not, you know, I'll have to read the book, I suppose, but I do know that uh, he wasn't with us for that long after that trip. Let's just say that. I don't want to get too morbid tonight. <clears throat> I want to stay positive because it's getting late and I got to go to bed so I can wake up and uh, paint some more bottoms on the boats and all that sort of stuff because I've only got to work tomorrow and then Thursday and then I'm off. Oh man, it's good. feels so good to just get back on the pod. I thought I was going like crazy. <laughs> oh man, computers. Whoa. I think I may end up looking into a uh, a non-computer source. I gotta I gotta email my buddy Mason Gravely over at the Adventure Sports Podcast. Shout out to them; they're awesome. They're they're like seven hundred episodes or something. And uh, sat down with him a couple of times, or at least sat down with him once, talked to him a couple of times. But he used when he, instead of a computer, he had sort of like it looked like a something the size of a VHF radio handheld. And he just plugged the mics into that. It was pretty cool. So, I don't know. I'd like to forego the whole computer screen thing and get something a little more bulletproof and maybe even a little easier to travel with. So, I might have to look into that. I don't know. But for right now, hey, this one's working and I'm feeling pretty good about it. But only other updates. Uh, The mast is definitely coming down on Old Sparrow. I've got to replace the lower... lower the lower shrouds and do a full inspection on everything up aloft on this boat. But mostly it's, uh, it's the wiring. I've got to put a conduit inside because I'm so sick of listening to those wires clanking around, driving me crazy. Next time I set sail, it's going to be so silent. I'm probably not going to know what to do with myself. So once I get back from the old Michigan adventure, I will be basically going full till and I think what we're probably going to end up doing is 50 50 so cut the work hours down by about I don't know cut them down to like 25 or 30 hours a week and spend the rest of the time getting getting old sparrow ready I think with the sales it's just going to be some some massive sewing projects and such um Mongo, he's got to get taken apart a little bit. I've got to get the bushings, new bushings uh, that are a bit worn out. So it, it sort of jostles around back there, which makes, again, a lot of noise. It seems like all I'm trying to do is cut all the noise <laughs> on the boat. But um, no, it's uh, got my projects. Do have to thank Brian because I have that new Garmin. Uh, new to me Garmin and uh, my buddy Frank who was I guess one of the designers of the NMEA system NMM I I never can remember that one but essentially the little quick connect things and the way that uh, your GPS talks to the chart plotter and to the AIS and all that he was one of the developers of that one of the greatest uh, old guys he was parked next to me in his boat uh, until last week so he took a look at it, gave him the numbers, and he sent me an email with all the information. So, might be getting a little tech savvy when it comes to Sparrow's uh, Sparrow's setup here in the nav station. It would be kind of cool to have, uh, you know, the AIS chatting with the 
chart plotter and showing some of the ships on there. I don't know. I think it would be kind of cool. I usually just run so low key out there, just the AIS on is the only power drain, but I don't know. Got to replace those solar panels, so I'm going to have brand spanking new ones of those. Uh, it's a lot of work to be done, but I'm I'm going to be pretty stoked because the goal, I think, is to set sail no matter where I end up going by the end of October. That'll allow me to help the guys out here in the yard because we've become such a glued-together team, which is uh, awesome to be part of, and I definitely don't want to bail on them early, which... You know, will probably set me up for getting my butt whipped out there by some uh, November November gale action. But I came up early in May and had to hide out from one of those gales. I'm not doing that again. I'm going offshore immediately. But, yeah, so that's sort of the game plan. I don't have a 100% uh, idea of what I'm going to do, but... It's either going to be a decently long sail, a couple of months, or may go down to the Caribbean, or if uh, if the podcast becomes the absolute end-all, be-all, that's what I'm going to go and do, then essentially I'm just going to get, get Sparrow down south, you know, far enough where it's not going to freeze, and then uh, base myself out of that, procure a vehicle at some point or another, and then hit the road. That's... Those are my options, and we'll just have to sort of see how how the world shakes it out and where we go from there. But I guess that's that's about my update. It is so hot still in this boat, and you know I turn these fans off so that we don't get that background noise. But by about minute twenty, I start to dripping sweat. <laughs> it's just amazing. It doesn't feel like Maine at all this summer. It feels like just working in Florida. I swear it's crazy. But in any event, uh, yeah, so this one was a little short, uh, but hey, I'm just glad to be back on the air and uh, getting getting uh, a little uh, little stuff off my chest, you know, a little, little this, little of that. And uh, next one, I will, oh, I hope, I hope, hope, hope we will be having a, uh, a guest with us here because it's really, it's been way too long and I want to sit down with somebody and, and hear somebody else's ideas. And I'm sure you do too. I know, I know when I say that, I typically get some emails where people are like, no, dude, the rambling, the rambling is good. Uh, but I want to keep it fresh and keep it going. Hence the, uh, the stories. So I'm going to cut this one off here and, uh, we'll get into this, this short little story of love adventure and, uh, well, I should say misadventures out at sea. Thanks for listening. And if you want to support the podcast, obviously you can over on Patreon, Sailing Into Oblivion. I'll put the link in the description. Thank you all very much. It's great to be back. And uh, we'll do another one in the next day or two. Thanks. Welcome to Sailing Stories. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Today, we're getting into a story that is literally this guy's like my hero. Uh, what he ends up doing is so great, but it's. Essentially, someone who goes out to cross an ocean, doesn't know how to sail, barely knows how to use the boat he's on, goes through a hurricane, all sorts of stuff happens, and essentially you get a grand adventure that spans months and months and months. And today's story is about John Caldwell. And this all takes place right after World War II. Essentially, this guy had gone and he married a girl in Sydney, Australia. He was in the Merchant Marines and... He got sort of released, and he was in Panama. 
and he had to get back, but there wasn't a lot of shipping going on in uh, the Pacific at that time, post-war, and so the only way he could really do it was he bought a sailboat. He bought this 29-foot wooden sailboat. It was a cutter, just like Sparrow, and uh, he took off basically not knowing anything, and he wanted to sail the 10,000 miles across the Pacific to get to her. And he was leaving right at the very beginning of the hurricane season in the Pacific. So really not the best uh, planning possible. But the guy's in love. He's got to get back to her. And so he's just willing to, to make the leap. So he spends a couple of weeks right there in Panama trying to figure out the boat. He falls overboard. All this stuff happens to him, and as he actually sets out, he's going to head to the Galapagos Islands first, but within a day, he ends up uh, running into an uprooted tree, and it springs a bunch of the, the wooden planks on the side of the boat, and so the boat starts sinking, and he luckily brings it back to a beach in Panama and saves it there, and then he decides, okay, well, now I'm ready. <laughs> and so, legend he is, he takes off and he sails to the Galapagos, and on the way there, he uh, is able to hook a big shark, and he thinks, for some reason, he gets it in his head, that it'd be awesome if he can catch the shark, kill it, and pull the jaws out, and show those to his uh, his wife in Australia, sort of, I guess, like, a, look what I can do, sort of thing. Well, this is like a couple hundred pound shark, and he gets it up into the cockpit of this tiny boat, but then all of a sudden it snaps back to life. It's thrushing around, it's going crazy, and destroys the tiller, breaks a whole bunch of the stuff in the cockpit, essentially almost sinks the boat again before he can get it back over overboard. So just sort of a nightmare scenario. But he stops in the Galapagos Islands, and he cleans the seaweed off the bottom of the boat and stuff, and then he takes off, and his... His idea is to sail down to the Marquesas, a couple thousand miles away into the Pacific, and um, he ends up getting pretty far off. I think it takes him 29 days to get down there, which is a heck of a feat, so he's doing pretty well, and he ends up doing so well that he sees the Marquesas, but then he decides, you know what, I'm going to keep going. You know, I don't have a ton of food, but I'm going to keep going. I want to get there as soon as possible, and I want to get out of the hurricane zone. And so he goes and he passes on and goes to a group of islands called the Caroline Islands. And he stops there to just get coconuts and sort of revamp his supply of water and food. After he does that, only about three days out from the Caroline Islands, a hurricane starts brewing right behind him. And essentially, once it hits, I mean, it's, it's serious, real deal stuff when you're in that weather if you don't know what you're doing and you're still just getting used to the boat, it's pretty much a nightmare situation. And he did what a lot of old-time sailors used to do, which basically is lash everything down, take the sails down, and go lash yourself in your bunk and hope that the boat can handle it. Now, over the next three days, this hurricane just ravaged his boat, and he's getting pushed around and all stuff. The masts get broken off. Tons of the equipment down below all gets broken as well. And by the time the storm is gone, he's basically just a sitting duck. Um, he's got just huge major troubles. It's amazing that he hasn't sunk. He gets all the water out of the boat, no longer has any navigation equipment. He has to make his own little mast and piece together some sails. And he does all that. But if, unfortunately, he's only moving at about a knot or two knots. So he's going really slow now. 
And he's sort of hoping that he'll be able to get to the next set of islands down there, which would be Samoa. And still, it's a long ways away. And because he's going so slow, he starts to eat through all the food that he has. And it gets really desperate. Now, I've been in a situation where I've had to ration food for many months, but I've been able to sort of handle it and ration it out and and still have enough so that I can at least eat a few hundred calories a day. I still lost a lot of weight, but I had stuff. He ran right out of food, like completely. So first he starts eating like his toothpaste, um, and then he starts actually like cooking if he has flying fish fall on the deck he'll cook those up but he doesn't have oil so he's using like hair cream oil or actually motor oil and eating it with that he gets so desperate that he starts cutting up his boot literally this dude eats his shoe fries up the leather in like hair grease so that he can soften it up to actually eat it then he starts scraping the barnacles off the bottom of the boat i mean Total legend. This is this is epic. I can't even believe he's doing this. And he's sort of eking his supply out, but he's literally like starving pretty much almost to death out there. But slowly but surely, he's moving and moving and moving. And eventually, he uh, he ends up crashing onto a, a, a coral reef outside on one of the Fijian like island chains out there. And uh, nobody's on it, but after about three days, some people show up, and they're kind of like, "Well, we'll we can help you out a little bit." And uh, but they're only there to farm um, copra, which is like a coconut product. And the next supply boat that's going to come isn't for like four months. So he essentially has to just hang out on this island with with these other farmers for. Uh, a few more months, and then eventually the ship comes in, and he is actually saved and gets taken all the way to Australia and uh, is reunited with his wife. And I think the whole ordeal takes somewhere somewhere around like a year or so to actually have everything happen. And I mean, like I said, absolute legend. I'm doing it all for love and and really just risking everything in the name of that I think is just absolutely phenomenal. I do however see how how bad of an idea it was to actually go and attempt this and he's lucky he's alive. Uh, it really is amazing that he did not perish out there at sea. So it's a, a bit of a cautionary tale, but I think it's one of those that really uh, pulls at the old romantic strings when it comes to sailing, ocean voyages and uh, reuniting yourself with uh, the ones you love. So that's the story for today. Hope you enjoyed it. More to come. Thank you very much.